What a blessing it is to see God's work going forward and us being able to support that through our gifts and our offerings in the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. As we come this morning, uh, we are coming again to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And if you would go ahead and turn there, uh, we are going to be moving in our topic this morning, moving our attention from the task of uh, spiritual oversight of the elder, the overseer, the under-shepherd, to the task of physical care and ministry that is carried out by those who we term as deacons. Now, it is important for us to understand that this distinction between these two roles and responsibilities, pastor, elder, and deacon, is not a distinction in spirituality, in stature, or in status. It is not a distinction in spirituality, status, or stature. The distinction that is being made is one of functionality and service. In our study of chapter 2, we saw that there was no distinction of essence or of value between men and women within the kingdom of God. Rather, there was a definite order and structure for those for the roles and responsibilities for those engaged in gospel ministry in the context of Jesus Christ Church. In the same way, we should not read an undue distinction into the text of uh, uh, between these offices in the New Testament. We shouldn't read into them some kind of distinction. Somehow there's a greater office that is pastor elder and a lesser office that is deacon. No, they are absolutely the same. They are complementary. They go hand in hand. That there to be elders and pastors who are exercising spiritual oversight and deacons exercising physical ministry and financial oversight as well. Indeed, both are given a place in the church to facilitate the flow of the gospel, the fulfillment of the Great Commission, and the making of disciples in the context of the local church. They are equal in essence and value in every way, but they are distinct and separate in the roles and responsibilities they take on to further the gospel. Now, there was once a farmer, an old farmer, who was asked about his team of horses because there was always one horse that pulled uh, more weight than the rest of the horses. And he was asked about the willingness of the horses, and the old farmer looked and he said, well, let me tell you, all of these horses are willing. The ones willing to pull and the rest are willing to watch him. Sad fact is, that's a commentary on the church, isn't it? There are few who are willing to work and there are many who are willing to watch. There are few who want to step forward and step out and be an example and minister in word and in work. But there are many who are willing to sit back and to watch them. In John chapter 13 verses 34 and 35, Jesus gives a command for all disciples to live by when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this All men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. All of God's children, every single one of God's children who have been saved by grace are to graciously and humbly serve God and serve one another. We are to share and show the love of God in the way that we relate in our lives, both in our word and in our work. We are to be examples of what it is to serve God and to serve others. 
But here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, we find a particular group of men set aside with the task of being examples in every way. We find the qualifications for the deacons of God's church that are to be examples of service and examples of love in every way. And so with that being said, let us take 1 Timothy chapter 3 and let us read together verses 8 through 13 as we stand in honor of the reading of this God's holy and inspired word. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 8 through 13, the word of God says this, Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine, or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we come to you now asking that indeed you would uh, show us what your word means and Father, apply it to our lives. Lord, let us be faithful in our service to you, in our service to one another. Lord, let us show and share the love of Christ in such a real way, in such a practical way that the watching world looks in and sees that there is something different and distinct about those who gather within your church to worship the living God. Let them look and see that we are not all about ourselves and our self-interest. But Father, we are about your Savior and the service of others who need to know him. Lord, we pray this morning that your spirit would illuminate this word, that you would apply it into our heart and into our lives. And Father, that we would go away differently than when we came in. Lord, it is our prayer that you would speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Speak, Lord. For your servants are listening in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in the scriptures that spiritually mature deacons are to serve and to the physical needs of the church to facilitate the flow of the gospel. Indeed, their purpose is the same as any other officer within the church, any other person who is overseeing the church. They are to be men who are facilitating the flow of the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, and making disciples in the context of the local church. And they are particularly doing this by meeting the physical and financial needs. And so the first question that we are going to ask ourselves this morning as we go through this uh, this uh, sermon I've got several questions that I just want to ask and put before you and the first one is what are the deacons to do what are the deacons to do well all Christians are to serve and to be an example of Christ's love and compassion to us but some men are actually set apart in an official capacity to be an example for the church and for the community of God's love by meeting particular physical needs of the family of God. The deacons are a tangible expression and uh, extension and expression of the love of Christ as well as being a physical extension of the love of the elders, of the ministry of the elders. 
And so in a very real way, the deacon is, the, uh, is a representative of God. He is the hands and feet of God, ministering faithfully to the physical needs of those within this world, as well as being an extension of the ministry of the elder pastor. That is what they are to do. That is who they are to be. We find the origins of this office in Acts chapter 6, although the term deacon is never used within that context, and it does not denote the official uh, office at that point when we see the pattern or the prototype given. When there was a physical need that arose in the church because the Hellenistic widows were not receiving their meals with the same effectiveness and efficiency as the other widows, there was a great discussion that happened because it was distracting and deterring the apostles from preaching and teaching God's word, from devoting themselves to prayer. And so the apostles called the first congregational meeting and they come and they get together and just like good Baptists, I'm sure there was a lot of discussion, but here's what they say. They say, brothers, listen, set aside seven men to serve the tables who are what? Men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Set aside these men. Will just any man, will it do to have anybody that can serve tables? Anybody who's walking? Anybody who can carry a load? No. These men must be what? Spiritual men. They must be full of the Holy Spirit and exercising wisdom in their life. Why? Because they're given a task of meeting the physical needs of those within the church. They are representatives. They are extensions of the hands and feet of God in ministering to those that they are caring for. And as such, they must be examples in every way. This is the prototype of the office of deacon within the New Testament found there in Acts chapter 6. And this established a pattern that would develop as the church grew. So there was one group of men who were charged with the oversight of the congregation. They were charged with preaching and teaching and praying for the congregation. And they were not to neglect those things. They were indeed those that were in charge of watching, warning, leading, and feeding the congregation. And in complement to this... There was a complimentary office that said, okay, you're exercising spiritual oversight. We will meet the physical needs so that you can devote yourselves to caring for the spiritual needs. Intensely practical, isn't it? Because one person can't do all of the things that need to be done at one time. He can't be everywhere all at once. Indeed, these are separate and distinct offices, but they are equal in value in essence to facilitate the gospel ministry of the church. But understand, this distinction is not a distinction of spirituality, stature, or status. It is simply a distinction of service. Elders, pastors, who are they ser- what are they serving? Spiritual needs. What are the deacons serving? Physical needs. Good. I'm glad you responded to that and uh, you saw it so clearly in the text. I was wondering if you got it. Because of the service ministry, these men are called to responsibly execute on behalf of the church and our Savior Jesus Christ. The qualifications are equally as serious as those for pastors, elders, overseers. Because they are dealing with the resources of God, ministering to the people of God. And so we look there in verses 8 through 10 and verse 12 and we ask the question, what are the qualifications of deacons? What, are the qualify, what qualifies a man to serve? in this capacity well in verse 8 it says first of all he must be a what 
a man. He must be, they must be men of dignity. And the, the statement begins with a word, husautas, in the Greek that says, likewise. This denotes that a new subject is being taken up, that indeed there is a difference, there is a distinction being made between the office of overseer in verses 1 through 7 and the office of deacon in verses 8 through 13. And so immediately he distinguishes this new office as that of diakonos, that of deacon, servant, or minister to the physical and financial needs of those experiencing hardship. Now, once again, this does not in any way lessen the the stature. It does not in any way lessen the status. It does not in any way lessen the spirituality that this man is to exercise. But in fact, it just delineates a calling to serve it. We note this in the fact that the only real tangible difference between the two categories is one qualification. There is one qualification that is noticeably lacking in the second group in the deacons that is not lacking in the first group. And what is that qualification? Able to teach. Somebody got it right. Good job. You've been reading ahead and studying. They must be, the elders, the overseers must be able to teach. The deacons don't have that qualification. But that does not mean that they are not to to be just as serious in their commitment to express Christ's likeness in all areas of life. Indeed, this should be the goal of every Christian. But they are to devote themselves to the service of the kingdom of God through meeting the physical needs. They are to be men of character, men of conduct and competence, the likes of which is matched by Jesus Christ. They are to demonstrate Christ to the watching world. And so now let us go ahead and dive into the qualifications. And basically there are seven basic uh, areas of scrutiny that we find through these qualifications. I've made them all start with S uh, so that it would be easy for you to write them down and remember them. But, but all seven of these areas of scrutiny are to be looked at, tested, before the person is put into service. First of all, the man, the deacon, must be serious. They are to be men that live with dignity, reverence, and gravity. Indeed, they are to be men who are not goof-offs and flippant about what is going on in the church. They are to be men who are known and respected intimately within the congregation. Why? Because these would have been men who would have been given charge of mills and monies to distribute among the congregation. Now let me ask you. Do you want the guy that's taking your order down at McDonald's that's just goofing off and doesn't really care about the accuracy of your order or your change to be the one who's delivering your meals and monies? No. You want somebody who is serious. Somebody, the, the uh, New, or King James translates that word grave. Somebody that exercises gravity in overseeing those things. Indeed, these men are given charge over the resources of God's church. And as such, they are to be known, respected, and trusted with the resources of God. Secondly, they are not only to be serious, they are to be sincere. They're to be sincere. They're not to be double-tongued. He cannot be a man uh, who tells one person one thing and another person another thing so that he can please everybody at once. Have you ever met anybody like that? Perhaps you're like that. I don't know. You just say whatever will get you off the hook at the moment. You just say whatever will make the people happy so that they'll go away at the moment. 
Indeed, the man of God is not to be that kind of man. The deacon within the church is to be a man who says what he means and means what he says. Why? Because this would be the man in charge of delivering meals. And if he told you he'd be there at 2 o'clock on Tuesday, guess what? He needs to be there at 2 o'clock on Tuesday, doesn't he? Pretty important deal. And so understand the deacon was involved in handling also church finances and he had to be a man of his word. You had to know he was serious and he was sincere in what he said. Thirdly, he also had to be sober, not addicted to much wine. Indeed, just like you would not want a drunk pastor attempting to teach the word of God, you would not want a drunk deacon uh, attempting to disperse the mills and monies to those in need. Where's Miss Bertha's house? As they stumble. Hey guys, come out. It's 12 o'clock. The deacon from the local church is going to be carrying the mill down the road. Let's count how many times he stumbles and falls today. Of course, that is not to be fitting of the man who would be exercising oversight of the physical ministry of the church. Maybe the mill makes it. Maybe the mill doesn't. Indeed, we are to be people who are what? Ephesians 5.18, men and women. What does that mean? Simply this, that we are not to be filled with wine in which is dissipation, but rather we are to be men and women who are filled with what? The Holy Spirit of God. Spirit-filled men and women. Just a word of encouragement. I do not believe there is a a better approach to life and the avoidance of alcohol than abstinence, as I have said in the past. Indeed, abstaining from all alcohol allows you to be beyond reproach in any way. Because after all, if you abstain from all alcohol, the fact is they can never come and say, well, you know, I saw the pastor and the chairman of deacons down the street at the pub last week and they were just having one. Well, how many did they have? Well, I'm not sure. But it seemed like they got a little bit tipsy to me. And now you can see the rumors start and they just run rampant, right? I've never met the first drunk who never had his first drink. Children, let me encourage you. Abstain from alcohol. Abstain from alcohol in the midst of a culture that is consumed with alcoholism. We need to be people who testify to a different sort of life. And the different sort of life is a life that has been changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, not by the bong or the bottle. As we live out this world, our testimony in this world, we must be men who are beyond reproach to the watching world. Fourthly, they are not only, not to, are not only to be sober, but they are to be satisfied men. The, the, that is the translation for not fond of sordid gain. Those who are not fond of sordid gain, in the King James, I think it says, uh, not fond of filthy lucre. Since the deacon's duties often involve the distribution of meals and monies and and gifts to the needy, there was always the possibility for embezzlement. And so the person had to be trustworthy. He would be tempted to say, you know, uh, Sister Sister Betty, she just, she doesn't need it this much. I don't understand. Why are we giving her this money? And the very real temptation might be, as he carries the money down to Sister Betty, that he might have the temptation to say, well, you know, one for her, one for me. One for him, one for me. One for them, one for me. And he might, if he is not satisfied and content and comfortable in what God has chosen to bless him with, he might start to desire these monies and these meals, huh? He very well might have. 
And so there might have been a temptation. A deacon must be a trustworthy man. He must not be a man who pursues dishonest gain. He must be a Colossians chapter 3 type of man. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality he must be a man who is satisfied content with what god has given him indeed if you see a man in the church who is always coming up with the latest and greatest get rich quick scheme probably not a man to appoint to deacon is it good i'm glad we're on the same page uh, we won't make any comments about amway or any of the other scams and schemes but here's what we need to say They are satisfied in what God has provided. Fifthly, they are to be spiritual men. Spiritual men holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. The mystery of the faith is Paul's turn for Christian doctrine, for Christian truth. It is especially interpreted as the gospel. It points to God's, the gospel and the mystery of the gospel points to God's redemptive plan that once was hidden in the shadows and types of the Old Testament that has now been fully and finally revealed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In other words, there is no other salvation than by the name of jesus christ there is no other salvation that is to be found than other other than that that is found through the person and work of jesus christ in other words just as serious just as spiritual as the elder and pastor is to be the man who fills the the slot of deacon indeed he is to be in every way devoted to christ and committed to the gospel he is to be a christ-centered gospel-saturated man and when he is given the opportunity to stand forward boldly for the gospel to deny false teachers and to present the truth of the gospel he is able to do it these men are in no way any less qualified spiritually than the men who fill the role of elder pastor is that clear we ought to all be that kind of men that kind of men and women We ought to all hold to the deep truths of the gospel to be able to explain at any point, at any part, what the gospel means and how it applies to sinners who can become saints. But understand, we must be spiritual men if we are going to do that. And we must be men of the word. Uh, Sixthly, we in verse 12, we see that they are to be men of sexual fidelity. We said that this literally translates the husband of one wife as one woman man as we saw in the case of elders the term refers to a man of moral purity both physically and mentally not just someone who abstains physically from fulfilling the act of adultery but someone who abstains mentally as well from that act of adultery someone who guards himself against pornography someone who guards himself against those things that might distract or deter him from and his affections from his wife a deacon is one who is going to be ministering in the homes of those ladies mentioned in second timothy chapter 3 verse 6 those widows and single women who might be weak-willed women weighed down by sin and all kinds of various impulses indeed you need a man who is trustworthy if they're going to be ministering in those homes don't you yes 
They need to be trustworthy in every way. Trustworthy in the air, all areas of sexual fidelity to their one and only wife. Seventh, we see that they are to be suitable overseers. They are to be good managers of his children and his household. As in the case of the elder, the home is indeed the proving ground for the devotion to the gospel and the disciple-making process. If he fails in his home, and listen, he is not to be increased in his responsibility. He's not going to get somehow uh, just magically get better at the process of being devoted to Christ and committed to disciple-making if he's not practicing. Practicing it in his home. In verse 10, we find the call that all seven of these areas of spiritual maturity be scrutinized before the person is set in the position of deacon. Indeed, he is to be looked at, he's to be seen whether or not he is faithful and true, so that he might be faithful and true in his service, freeing up the elders and the pastors to exercise spiritual oversight in spirit-led prayer and preaching of the word through through the complementary roles and responsibilities of these two offices. Listen, men who are filled with the love of God are to exercise ministry. Elders and pastors, what are they to do? Spiritual oversight. Deacons, what are they to do? Physical and financial oversight. Indeed, these offices are to be filled by men who are above and beyond reproach in every way. They have demonstrated their commitment and devotion and love to Christ and His church in such a tangible way that the gospel goes and grows through the life that they live. Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, Jesus speaking of the one who was faithful with the talent said, Indeed, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. It is worth noting that quite a few leaders throughout the biblical history were tested first as servants before they were put in roles and responsibilities of leadership. In the Old Testament, we find people like Joseph, who was a servant in Egypt for 13 years before he became second in command over all of the land. Moses cared for the sheep for 40 years on the backside of the wilderness in obscurity as he cared for those sheep. God was preparing him, training him to be a shepherd that would lead the sheep of Israel out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt and out into the promised land. Indeed, Joshua was Moses' servant before he became Moses' successor. David was tending his father's sheep when Samuel anointed him king of Israel. All of these men who were were tested and found tried and true in every respect before they were given the task of what? Oversight. See, an untested Christian is an unprepared Christian, and you don't put a man into office and then test to see if he's trustworthy. Well, you know, I think if we make Bubba a deacon, I think maybe he'll start reading his Bible more and coming to church more and be more committed uh, to his wife. I think, you know, it'd be a good thing for us to set Bubba. No, they must be men. They must be men who are serious, sincere, sober, satisfied, spiritual, sexually pure, and suitable for oversight in the church. They must be tested. What about the women? 
Pastor, you skipped a verse there in the middle. Why, why did you do that? Well, this is a question that has generated much debate through the course of these last years in evangelical Christianity. Is this a reverence to women in general, to women that fulfill the role of deacon, to women that would assist the diaconate, or to the wives of those who are serving as deacons? That is a great question, and I'm going to give you several answers that you can choose from and try to work out for yourselves, not according to what you think, but according to what the Bible says. In order to get at this, we must see that this verse is set apart and distinct from the position of deacon in verse 11 by the same word that set apart the position of deacon from that of elder in verse 8. The Greek term is husautos. Same word, verse 8 and verse 11. In verse 8, it distinguishes between elders, overseers, and deacons. In verse 11, it distinguishes between the position, the office of deacon, and these women that are referenced to in this verse. There are at least four or five different explanations, one of which all just basically before we begin to get into the others, there are some who interpret women as all women in the church should be this. And in fact, if you want to be technical about it, that is exactly right. All women in the church should fill verse 11. But there are four other explanations that I want you to look at and just think through. First of all, there are those who say they are deacons in the same way as those who are mentioned in verses 8 through 10 and verse 12. But I give you a word of warning here because they'll say, oh yeah, I know that all the references are masculine in those qualifications. And I understand it says in verse 8 that the deacons must be men of dignity. And I understand in verse 12 it says the husbands of one wife. That's pretty hard for a woman to fulfill but we're just going to throw all of that evidence out they're just the same they're part of the diaconate no they're not they're not secondly they are deaconesses that are separate but assist to the diaconate now this is much better than the first option it is indeed a possibility that this is true they are different from but similar in function to the diaconate diaconal responsibilities in the church are performed from a feminine perspective through this group of ladies if that was true though i believe that paul would have used the feminine form of diaconoi or to make it clear or at least the term diaconos to make it clear that they were a separate institute, a separate office within the church. Indeed, that would have seemed logical. He calls the first group, what? Overseers. The second group, likewise, deacons. The third group, likewise. And if it was simply another group, deaconesses, that were another office constituted in the church, surely he would have given the term. Thirdly, a third option is that they are female assistants to the deacons, women who are trustworthy and faithful in every way. This could be the case, but there should have been a full list of qualifications in the same way that there were qualifications given for the other two offices. Indeed, this is a very likely possibility, and I don't have any problem with those who would say these are ladies who assist the diaconate in fulfilling the responsibilities. Perhaps these would have been ladies who would have stood by the shore as ladies were being baptized and they would have held up screens so that there wouldn't be any impropriety or any immodesty in the midst of the baptismal service. 
That is a very real likelihood. Fourthly, fourth option. These are the wives of the deacons. And when we take this passage in light of the surrounding verses, we see that the Greek term gune, from which we get our term gynecological, can be used of wives or women. In chapter 2, it is translated three times as woman or women. In chapter 3, it is translated twice as wife, the woman, or the wife, the husband of one wife. There in verse 2. And then again in verse 12, immediately following this. And so if you take the context, it does indeed seem that there might be some uh, legitimacy lended to understanding this as the wife of the deacon, the wives of the deacons. Now understand this. We ought not to be dogmatic over over these issues with those that differ between 2, 3, and 4. All of them are possibilities. All of them are given. And in fact, it would have been a whole lot easier if this verse, verse 11, had come after verse 12 so that we could interpret verse 12 in light of verse 11. That would have solved a whole lot of issues, but it doesn't. And we've got to take the Word of God as what it says, not as what we want it to say. And so we need to understand... We must be willing to agree to disagree with others. And while we don't say that everybody is right about how they interpret it, indeed, I would suggest to you there would be much discussion within the community and within the church if these women were women who were assisting the husbands of one wife in verses 8 through 10 and verse 12 with all these types of ministries. There are many women that we call upon here in the church to minister to those who are in need that that do pastoral and diaconal ministry within the context of Adamsville Baptist Church. But understand, we never ask those ladies to place themselves in positions of reproach by being alone with their assistance, in their assistance with the men that are husbands of one wife. In other words, we guard our, what, testimony. We make sure that in everything we are above reproach. So whether you read this as women who are helping and assisting the diaconate, whether you read this as wives of those who are in the diaconate, make sure that these qualities are abiding within you. The women of the church should be dignified, reverent in every way, not malicious gossips. In other words, they're not part of the grapevine. You don't tell her about the problems of the church or about the latest rumors running rampant through the church. Why? Because she'll tell you to go home and get right with God and then go get right with those you're talking about. Don't participate in the grapevine. They're temperate. They are sober. They are faithful in all things. They are beyond reproach in all of life. Indeed, these are Titus chapter 2 type of women. They are Titus chapter 2 verses 3 through 5. Women, older women who are reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being submissive to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. These are ladies that are content. And these are ladies that are ministering faithfully 
so that the word of God might go forward and disciples might be made in the midst of the church. The deacon wives are the mature disciples uh, of Christ that are women are ministering in the church uh, should be who are ministering in the church should be examples of the transformative work of God's gospel and obedience to God's word through their lives. Ladies, let me ask you, do you fit this mold? Do you fit this pattern? Are you a lady who is dignified and reverent in every way? A lady who is not a malicious gossip, doesn't uh, participate in the grapevine? Are you temperate and sober in all things? Are you faithful in all things so that you are beyond reproach? That's what we desire. And thankfully, I can say that our ladies have exceeded and excelled in many, many places and aspects of this. But each one of us should be pressing on toward the goal of being conformed to the image of Christ. And ultimately, the place of that woman in verse 11 is, listen, she is a woman who is participating wholeheartedly in facilitating the flow of the gospel, fulfilling the Great Commission, and what? Making disciples in the context of the local church. Finally, this morning in uh, this will be our final question. What is the reward of the faithful deacon? Look there in verse 13 and see. The reward of the faithful deacon is for those who have served well as servants, as deacons. They will obtain for themselves a good standing, a high standing, and a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. See, the faithful deacon is one who uses his office and not just fills it. He is faithful to use his office and not to just fulfill it. He is one who serves faithfully, works hard. Indeed, he is that hardworking horse that when everybody looks, they know he is working diligently for the kingdom. What an encouragement to a faithful deacon that if he is faithful in his service, he will be exalted both in God's kingdom and in the kingdom that is presently upon this earth. Indeed, he will receive a reward and great respect from God himself and from the saints of the church which means greater opportunity for him to minister a faithful deacon has a good standing before god and before men and he can be used of god to build the church a faithful servant can go boldly before the lord in prayer knowing that he is intimately involved in doing god's perfect and pure will also such a person can have a great confidence in in dealing with people knowing firsthand the reality of christian faith he has has a spiritual boldness that makes for effective ministry in every way. When we look at those men we have set apart as deacons to serve the physical needs of the church, we ought to look at them and say, you know what? They look like Christ. And they're magnifying Him in every way. As we come this morning, there was another who was a servant. He was a servant before He experienced the exaltation. And read in Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. Who although he existed in the form of God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Taking on the form of a bond slave. Bond servant. 
And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an amazing story that indeed we are reflecting, we are showing back to the world the love that God has shown us. We are reflecting to them the service that God has done for us, the fact that He made Him who knew no sin be the servant of those who knew so much sin, so much so that he was working to save, to redeem, and to restore a right relationship between sinful man and holy God. He made Jesus Christ your servant. He put him on the cross of Calvary so that he could suffer your penalty, so that he could break the power of sin in your life. And the service that we reflect to the world is the service that Christ has shown to us. Deacons, you are to be men who are sober. You are to be men who are consistently living out a testimony that shows Jesus Christ to the world. We are to serve those that God has entrusted to us. Suppose if you read an article tomorrow in the help wanted section of the paper that read something like this, needed someone to do often undesirable work for the sake of the King of Kings, needs to know the love of Jesus personally and be able to demonstrate it to others, must live daily in personal contact with the greatest servant of all in order to continue training. Work requires being on call 24 hours a day to meet needs of family, friends, and even strangers. Must be willing to give up his own rights. Pay is often non-existent within this life, but great rewards come in the next life. No experience necessary, and on-the-job training begins today right where you are. Let me ask you, men. Would you be willing to step out and to live as an example for Christ? Would you be willing to take on that job description? Each and every one of us must take on that job description. Because we are the representations of Christ to the watching world. Indeed, our greatest satisfaction shouldn't come from the men and women all around us who watch us. It should come from the heavenly heights. Our greatest desire should be to hear that statement flowing from the lips of Jesus when we get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I have now given you many things to exercise authority over. Enter into the joy of your master. But you need to understand the only way you can enter into that joy this morning is through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because your sin... And your shame, each and every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Each one of us has shame, that is, things that would shame us and keep us out of the glory of God. But listen, He has provided access by making His Son the servant of sinners. And so, of course, those who receive Him as Lord and Savior should be the servants of others. 
and should show and share God's love each and every moment of the day. Father, make us your image. Lord, lead us in this time to commit ourselves to work for you, to live for you.